Thank you for joining us at the Roundtable. Brought to you by Community Education Arts, a nonprofit organization based in Noblesville, Indiana. I'm Alice Cavanis Gober, President of CE Arts. And I'm Sarah E. Morin, Secretary of CE Arts. Let's sit down at the Roundtable. Welcome back to this year's NICE discussion. On to the next selection. Yes. So my next choice is The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yep. So, so um, I've read written that. in um, 1894. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an early feminist short story. I was looking for, because usually we have at least something each year that's not a novel. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for some either stories, short stories, or plays, or poems. Mm-hmm. So some of mine on this list are those. Um, but I read this one in either late middle school, early um, high school, and it just really stuck with me. It's so short. And the story takes place in a single hour, right after a woman hears news of her husband's death. She spends time alone trying to process the news, and Chopin takes us through her very mixed emotions and thoughts. And among those are grief and what makes the readers today still a little uncomfortable, a sense of freedom. Mm. And I just think you and I would have a lot of fun I'm liking that. the feminist stuff. <laughs> yeah. and I'm liking that controversial reaction to someone's death. And I think that's a very, that's something that sh- personally myself, I think that in certain situations, uh, a loss can be a relief. And I think that that is something that society should be more accepting of. So I'm very interested in, I haven't read that in a long time. I would say it's probably been at least 20 to 25 years since I've read that, but um, I, I'm liking that idea. How mm-hmm. do you think it would um, relate in terms of the creation of any um, inspired artworks of any, any kind? Yeah, I think that that might be its weak point. I think that we might have the same thing as we did for yellow wallpaper, although yellow wallpaper had obviously yellow wallpaper in it, but where people might relate. Yeah, we were able to find a passage that really stirred the imagination. So, right. Well, I'm thinking more of people might relate to the theme, Mm -hmm. you know. And then it's the theme that creates the the artwork versus something that is, you know, visual and sensory. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would agree that that would probably be the weak point in the selection. Right. I think I think that one of the things we need to remind our audience is that not only do we pick four books, but we select one passage from each book that can stand alone for those creatives who don't have time or energy or desire to reread or read a whole entire tome. They just take that passage and can create something inspired by the passage. Um, I will say that I believe any Steinbeck I could find a path, we could find a passage that would be inspirational because he writes so beautifully. I believe um, that we had a harder time, for example, with A Wrinkle in Time finding a passage because it it was so uh, full of different like journey stages. How do you find one passage that's going to kind of represent the whole book and not be too specific? I think we did an okay job with that. Uh, last year. So um, we would be challenged with, say, for example, Never Ending Story, we might be challenged with finding a passage that works for the whole tome without being too 
specific to a certain step in the journey, if you will. So that's something to think about is that we always have to be thinking of, could we find a passage? Would we find Right. I don't actually think that never ending story would be too hard. Cause like I said, it's very meta. It's very much about that relationship of reader and what you're reading. Okay. And there's plenty of beautiful commentary on that. Cool. Good. Okay. All right. So um, that's a very, I like that. Uh, the Kate Chopin uh, short, it's a short story, right? It is very short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I also really like the immediacy of it. It's just an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I like that too. Um, and I like that uh, it it's it has consequences and themes relevant, you know, indefinitely eternal. I mean, loss of, you know, death and loss. Uh, that's, that's, that's not going to be a, a theme that isn't relevant, you know, at any given time. <laughs> so I like that. Unlike my next selection or potential, uh, The Scarlet Letter, a romance written in 1850 by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And a lot of people are familiar with this and, uh, you know, either from high school or college literature classes. It's usually just referred to as The Scarlet Letter. And if you say Hester Prine, people usually know that's The Scarlet Letter character. Uh, so it's set in Puritan, Massachusetts Bay Colony during the years 1640 to 1649 so we're talking about a period piece right going to be always going to be challenges in a period piece and it tells the story of hester prine who conceives a daughter through an affair and then struggles to you know create a life of i guess repentance and dignity uh, i should say an illegitimate daughter um that i thought that was understood but maybe it's not um, so it has a lot of religious and historic illusions, if you will. It explores themes of legalism, sin, guilt. Um, it was one of the first mass produced books in the United States, which I just thought was an interesting tidbit. Um, it was popular when it was first published and it has been considered popular and a classic ever since. And it, it has inspired a lot of film, television, and stage adaptations. So some people might be more familiar with one of those rather than the actual book. Um, I'm not gonna get too much into the plot uh, because I think that that is for, to be saved for you know later times. But uh, major themes that interest in me are you know that idea of shaming and social stigma. Um, for Hester has public humiliation and the father of her child, the Reverend Dimsdale has private shame and fear of exposure. And, and of course, right there, you know, the woman's shame is public. The man's is not exposed. And she, it, and that right there is beat on the bone for me, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, um, it's interesting also that in the book, their their liaison is not really spoken of directly, and so the circumstances that led to the prank that her her pregnancy and how the affair was, the affair was kept secret is never really revealed. It's that's not really a plot point, and that is very interesting too. It's definitely like a after the fact story, and the main fact is just never really, you know, clarified. So. There's an awful lot of like uh, Hawthorne himself as in, in, as the writer, you know, he he described 
in the book, there's a lot of, uh, how do I say, a description of like the space between uh, materialism and dreaminess, for lack of a better phrase, uh, a neutral territory, he called that, somewhere between the real world and fairyland, where the actual land the, and the imaginary may meet and each imbues itself with the nature of the other. That last part was a quote. So it's a, it's a really interesting space uh, that he gave himself to create the story and explore a lot of themes. Um, so it, it, there are themes that kind of echo Adam and Eve because sin results in expulsion and suffering. Um, but also results in knowledge. So um, there's a lot going on in uh, Hester Prine herself in her internal dialogue, where she is dealing with the not just the physical manifestations of her quote sin um, and reminders of painful solitude, but she also contemplates casting off that that shame and everything for for freedom. You know, in a way, she's free more free so there's a lot that i like about that there's a lot of um allegorical uh, or metaphorical things you know a fall from grace for the reverend dimsdale you know even if nobody knows about it he does there's a rose bush that symbolizes a lot there's you know misshapen bodies in you know that symbolize stuff anger of the soul is a mis comes out in this misshapen body of the Chillings, Chillingworth character. So there's a lot going on in this. And, and then the extreme legalism of Puritans is also something that is, in my mind, kind of important because the Puritans founded America as we know it, you know, um, you know, they, they were not the original inhabitants of this land, but, you know, the Puritan philosophies and ethics and moralism and, and all that stuff really, you know, played an important part in American culture and society even today. So uh, I thought that it would be kind of interesting, this book. It's, it's, you know, it's a classic. It's got those elements of, you know, illegitimate birth, you know, I mean, oh my goodness, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, published when it was and set in a time period of the 1600s. It could be interesting. Yeah, no, no, this one appeals to me. Um, admittedly, this is a book that I have never read all the way through, but there's no way to avoid knowing what this book is. It is so exactly. a part of, it's seeped into pop culture and any time, you know, that you read something about classic literature, it's going to be on the list. The Scarlet um, Letter, the big A, right? So, right. And, and just for those of you who haven't read the book or seen any of the adaptations, that she, Hester Prine is literally forced to wear a Scarlet Letter A on her clothes all the time to symbolize her guilt of um, adultery. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, and, you know, adultery in this definition she wasn't married you know it hasn't it doesn't have anything to do with the marital status it has to do with having a child illegitimately having a sexual liaison with someone who's not your husband or the other way your wife now the Reverend Dimsdale doesn't, obviously no one knows he was the father, so he doesn't have to wear the Scarlet A. I don't know what, I don't know. I don't think men were, uh, you know, forced to wear the Scarlet A in the Puritan society. I think it was the women, but hey, that's topic for another, you know, another podcast. 
Yeah, I can see this having um, a lot of modern relevance. It would be fun to discuss, you know, shaming, social stigma, social media mobs, um, the changing definition of what is a socially acceptable family, what's socially acceptable sexuality, um, women's bodies. I think that could be great fodder for discussion. Very great. Yeah, there's a lot. And and it is, you know, written in a more archaic writing style, you know, an, you know, an older writing style. And so um, I wouldn't necessarily expect people to read the whole book. We would hopefully be able to pick a passage that would be inspirational in and of itself. So it's, but it's, it's got a lot going on in this book. I mean, it's. Yeah. yeah I'm liking, I'm liking this choice. I'm liking this choice. All right. That's Good a, entry. Good <laughs> possibility. All right. Okay. My next one is also a short story. And um, this one I read for the first time in college. It was creepy then. And I recently listened to a podcast where they read it out loud. And it was even creepier now. And that is The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Oh, yes. 1948. Yeah, very um, my only concern about this one is it, it may be overdone. But here's, here's a little synopsis of it. Um, it was first published in The New Yorker. The story describes a fictional small town which observes an annual tradition known as the lottery, in which a member of the community is selected by chance. The sorry, the preparations for and execution of the lottery are both described in detail. And man, I don't want to give a spoiler too mm -hmm. early, but here's the beauty of this thing to me. It is described in such mundane detail to begin with that you're just like oh this this could be my town all these little interactions in between people you know it's just like it's a it's a social get together for the fourth of july it all seems so natural and then slowly this feeling of there's something that's going to happen we don't know quite what but there's something that's off here. Mm -hmm. And then the random selection of somebody for a, a not good outcome. Um, I, I would love to delve into this for so many reasons. I feel like this is a short story that has spoken to multiple generations. Right. And they could speak to our generation for, um, I, I know that who gets COVID is not completely random, but I would say that sometimes disease feels random. Like, why do you get it? And I don't get it. Why do you die? And I don't die. Mm -hmm. And so that, that idea of who is selected and why, but also sometimes I think, again, going back to the theme of like social shaming, why is such and such a person selected out for the mob to get? Right. Yeah. You know? Right. So, so that's what really appeals to me about the lottery. Okay. I think that would be a good one. I mean, I like that it's short. I'm very I'm short with it. You know, um, I, I, it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I think movies and and other adaptations have happened from this that are full length, if you will. And it's kind of like Brokeback Mountain. That was originally a short story and it became a full feature film, much more, you know, fully realized than, than maybe the short story might, might lend itself to. So um, I do like that as a possible, possible one. Join us next time as we continue our discussion of our nice books. This has been At the Roundtable with Alice and Sarah E. of Community Education Arts. Our nonprofit organization is based in Noblesville, Indiana. You can find us online at cearts.org. We'd like to thank James Weston for writing our intro music and for his technical savvy. Join us next time at, at the, the Roundtable. Table.